everybody and welcome to tonight's episode of MHNR 2020. That's Mental Health Nurse Research Con 2020, which is happening this year online. And for people who um, watch Unite MHNR regularly, know that um, we generally host um, a programme called MHTV about mental health. And this year we're hosting um, MHNR online so that everybody can get involved. If you're tuning into this for the first time, all our um, episodes are absolutely free to join in. You can join in one of two ways. You can either like the Unite MHNA Facebook page and follow the live stream feed that you'll see there. If you want to comment and ask any questions, we'd love, we'd love that. We like interaction in these sessions. Um, you can also join in on Twitter. And to join in on Twitter, just to say we're not using our usual MHTV hashtag. So if you tweet us at MHNR2020 and Nikki, um, my colleague in the background, will be having a head down tonight, following the social media and feeding questions in. I'm going to hand over to Ben now to start us off. Super. Thanks okay, ever so much, ben. Vanessa. Um, hello, everybody. Welcome to this fourth episode of um, MHNR2020, our theme this evening is children and young people. Uh, my name is Ben Hannigan. I work at Cardiff University. Uh, I'm a mental health nursing academic there. I'm a member of the MHNR Conference Organising Committee. I'm chair of Mental Health Nurse uh, Academics UK. Um, so I, I'm doing a good job today. If you hear very little of me, um, I want to be a good football referee and I'll be, you know, the less you hear of me, the better really. This is about giving our esteemed guests an opportunity to speak about all the things they want to speak about. A quick reminder that um, we have three presentations that are uploaded to all our usual places uh, which support this evening's panel uh, discussion um, and those presentations uh, from Beth, uh, from Rachel and Anne, from Michael are a really useful important backdrop to the discussion. We are using the hashtag yeah. MHNR 2020 um, and Let's begin with some introductions. So, um, so Beth, uh, welcome to you. Um, you're in. You're. A, you describe yourself as a as a newly qualified mental health nurse. And in fact, you're talking. What you're going to talk about is is something which you did for your student nurse education, your dissertation. It is. Uh, yeah, it's my um, systematic review that I did for my undergrad degree. So I qualified last summer. So I've been working in CAMS inpatient services for coming up to a year, which is scary. It's gone quickly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's still And nice to meet you again. And Bethy, you were also chair of the Future Mental Health Nursing Student Conference a couple of years ago. Yeah, so nice to meet you again. And uh, we were saying just before we went live, what a great role model you are for student nurses and newly qualified nurses that you've written a dissertation you've qualified as a nurse and now you're on um you're here as part of mhnr 2020 talking about that work so fantastic well done thank you uh rachel yeah, and Anne, it really is brilliant. yeah it is really good yeah no it really is that is fantastic yeah, yeah. yeah. rachel rachel tell us about yourself hi i'm rachel bullock i'm essentially a mental health nurse working in cams um, across Stoke and Trent and North Staffordshire. I'm also doing a, an MSc at the moment in advanced clinical practice. So I'm a trainee um, advanced nurse practitioner. Um, so my background, oh, essentially I'm working in CAMS at the moment, um, but I've also worked in substance misuse, criminal justice, and across adult services. So bring a wealth of different experiences. 
Yes, great. Welcome. Welcome. Good Thank to you. meet. Thank you. And Anne, tell us about yourself and where you work. Yeah, so hi everybody. I'm Anne. I'm a consultant nurse in CAMS. I work with Rachel at North Staffordshire Combined Healthcare. Um, I've been in CAMS for, gosh, about 20 years now. Um, I'm just uh, undertaking my doctorate of nursing, which I'm hopefully getting my Viva in December, thankfully. Um, but yeah, um, CAMS has been my background. We're inpatient and community, um, but currently across tier four and community at the moment. Lovely. Wonderful. Good to meet you too. Um, and and Michael, you just can't stay away. You were you yeah. were here yesterday. You were here yesterday, weren't you? Uh, yeah. I, I'm harder to get off a screen than dust, <laughs> or, a thing, or or a thumbprint. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so today I'm I well, I'm Michael Nice and I'm a lecturer in mental health nursing. I I work in Trinity College in Dublin. And uh, I'm interested in, uh, well, physical health would be the main thing, but also looking at uh, learning uh, and education needs of uh, non-mental uh, health uh, workers. So because sometimes a, a non-mental health worker will be the person who may become the first contact for someone with a mental health issue. So this research that I'm presenting is around uh, primary school teachers. Yes. And when we come to talk more about the detail about, so it's a survey, isn't it, that you developed? Yeah, it's uh, just, it's a, it's a quantitative descriptive study. So we, we developed a survey and uh, the survey was uh, dispatched via uh, an online collection too. Mm. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. So welcome again. And, and yeah. Vanessa, yeah, Vanessa, you've got you you particularly know about young people's mental yeah. health. Yeah, so I was a bit shoddy at the um start not introducing myself. So I'm Vanessa Garrity. So I present this regularly um with Nikki um MHTV. And as I said at the beginning, we're hosting this this year. But as well, tonight I'm particularly interested in this episode because in my work as a mental health nurse, I'm doing lots of work with Compass, a charity that do lots of health and well-being um, around the country with children and young people. And some of the work we do is around mental health in schools. So tonight I'm particularly interested in the panel discussion and I hope to try and join in the, um, the discussion more than I usually do on these episodes. Yeah, no, that'd be great for me, really. Should, yeah. Um, so what we could do, maybe, mindful of wanting everybody to have a chance so, from the hour. Um, should we, I mean, would it be an idea for people to say a little bit about the background to the work that they've done, the service development or their research, and then, and when, we, when people have had that opportunity, perhaps to talk about the kind of methods they used or the approach and then what they found and what they did and yeah. why all that's important. Does that sound all right, Vanessa, do you think? Yeah, I think that's great, definitely. So we've got quite a big panel on tonight, so I think it'd be really good for people who are listening just to get a general overview, first of all, of um, you know your backgrounds and the work you're doing. And then, as Ben says, to talk about some of the findings and what the implications are, I guess, and then have a general discussion. So I'm not sure. I think we probably all see different people on our screens. I've got Beth at the top of my screen. Are you happy, Beth, to start? Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, so I did a systematic literature review, which was my dissertation project for my undergrad. 
um, I did a psychology degree before my nursing degree and kind of all the way through that was just really interested mm -hmm. in that link between psychosis in adults and childhood trauma yeah. um, so I kind of managed to get to the point where for my dissertation I wanted to look at um, those psychotic symptoms whether they're present in children so before they're at the point of having a diagnosis of psychosis so I searched yeah nine um, electronic databases um, and ended up with 10 papers for review. Kind of the background that I found was just that there was a lot out there on that link between um, adult psychosis and children who'd experienced trauma, but not so much about um, the symptoms of psychosis mm -hmm. in children and before it gets to that clinical point. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was, it was really interesting to conduct and I found quite a lot of them um, interesting things that we'll get to later but yeah just in terms of the actual searching ended up with um 10 pieces to review which are cr critically evaluated sorry my dog is going to keep interrupting me <laughs> <laughs> we're used to that aren't we we're used to that <laughs> yeah, <that's> right. about <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> so yeah before um there was a few stats about just which quite shocked me um when i got to the point of doing it just about the fact that 48% of adults in England had been found to experience one adverse life experience mm -hmm. and 90% of people that were seeking support for those severe mental illnesses in adulthood had um, experienced significant childhood trauma or adversity as well. So just think the amount of people that are going through that, there's, there's going to be things that crop up in CAMS um, that's really interesting to look at. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great that you have a grounding with a psychology degree, isn't it, as well, before mental health nursing, just in terms of being tuned into um, the sort of psychologically um, orientated work, which, as you say, we talk a lot about prevention, but we don't talk as much about prevention starting in childhood and um, and young people. So it's um, it's brilliant. And as Ben says, said earlier, it's just really inspiring as well, um, you know, that you've done that as part of your undergraduate nursing and then you're here tonight talking to us about it. Yeah. Right then, well, we'll come back to you. Um, should we go over to Rachel, if that's okay with you, Rachel? You're next on yeah. the screen. Yeah. Yeah, so so ours is essentially a service evaluate, uh, service development um, project that we did. So um, looking at ADHD within our CAM services. Um, and there was, a, I think as, as a group of nurses, there was a whole raft of reasons why we wanted to kind of look at that. So there was there was lots of need to kind of look at change um, around the way we managed the, the ADHD process for young people. Um, there was when, uh, waiting lists that were ridiculously long, and I don't think that's that's unique to us as, as a service. I think that's across the you know across, nationally really. There's there's lengthy waits. We're talking eighteen months to two years um, wait for an assessment for ADHD. Um, when they did get through a, an ADHD assessment process, there was no kind of formalised structure and there was no kind of sense of equity across all of our teams. So um, young people quite often got different um, assessment processes. So we wanted to tighten that up really and ensure that uh, children had access to um, 
a streamlined set of assessments um, that, that were consistent um, with what we should be doing each and every time. Um, our retention was high. If you can imagine a child getting diagnosed from the age of six, um, we were keeping hold of these, these young people until 18. Um, and so there was high prescribing costs that went with that. And, and no throughput and discharges. And if you think about a young person having to attend a secondary mental health service from the age of six to 18, and the message that that gives them, um, we didn't feel that was particularly helpful or recovery focused in any way. Um, we felt that our work with primary care, our communication with primary care was overall quite poor. Um, and you think of the long-term plan and the need to kind of um, join up those, those practices, we felt that we could do some work there as well. Um, and just from a, a, a service point of view, ADHD formed 50% of the work we were doing um, and up to 70% of our prescribing. So it was, it was a massive part of our CAMS service. And if we didn't get the resource right, um, we're not going to be able to kind of meet the demand of, of other um, presentations if we're going to be kind of swamped with um, ADHD. So it kind of, you know, if we could create some sense of capacity elsewhere in the system, we could be much more responsive to other presentations, especially things like risk and, um, you know, need to act urgently. So, so that was really our drivers for change. Is it okay to ask you, you a question, Rachel, or, may, or yeah. either you or Anne? It's, it's just around terminology, really. So what, what is ADHD? What, what, what does it refer to? I mean, I, it's, I'm familiar with the term, but I'm, I'm no expert at all. <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to answer Anne, or do you want to go for it? Go for it, Rachel. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a neurodevelopmental condition, so it's Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Um, and so it's it's not a, what's interesting is it's not a mental health condition or disorder. It's a neurodevelopmental. So um, if you look at kind of neurology, it's it's some disruption in the normal development of the brain um, at some point, and it's trying to understand um, where that might have been. So in utero or, or following birth, and how that has played out. Uh, in their presentation, in their behaviour, in their executive functioning, in the way they think and feel. Um, so, so essentially, it's it's embedded within mental health services, but it's very different. Right. Mm. Thank you. Anything else, Anne? You want to? I think it's just um, yeah. It, it is ADHD is an umbrella term, so it's got a whole raft of disorders underneath it. And I think just going from what Beth was saying around you know, the ACEs and things like that, and about that childhood trauma, that sometimes that effect on the brain can, you know, has been associated with things like ADHD. Um, so yeah, so I think it's just congruent to understand where that that neurodevelopment has changed and, and what's caused it really. And there's no kind of one single thing that, that we're saying does cause it. I think there's a multitude of queries about what, what causes it, so yeah. Oh, Bene, uh, I'll tell you more on that. Do you want to know the core symptoms? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, essentially, the three core symptoms of, of ADHD are hyperactivity. Um, so, much more with young children, we see that kind of very bouncy presentation. Um, but we also get impulsive behaviours, um, and that can kind of be more prevalent throughout kind of 
uh, later childhood and teens, we can see that, and, and quite often that can get them into um, maybe poor choices or, or going down a difficult path that's getting them into trouble. And then we see inatten uh, inattention, so that difficulty in staying focused or 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 being able to complete tasks. Um, but we also have much wider things, so executive functioning, being able to organise yourself. Yeah. Um, so, so for schoolwork, for instance, can be really difficult remembering things to go to school. Um, and if we think about later teens and, and the world of work, being able to kind of manage finances or being able to get to certain places at certain times and, and kind of manage multiple things can be really challenging. Yeah, it's really similar to what we were saying. It does Back kind of span across lots of different areas of their life, um, yeah. you know, if, if unmanaged. Yeah, I was just thinking very similar, and we were saying this a bit, weren't we, before we went on air, that there's increasingly more recognition about ADHD, but, um, you know, like you were talking about um, impulsivity, and certainly when I worked in the prisons, saw a lot of people who were diagnosed with ADHD, and similar to, um, to Beth's work, this, you know, really highlights the need to focus on children and young people, doesn't it, to get in there early and diagnose people and offer, offer support. Yeah, yeah, and, and equally, you know, I've worked in substance misuse services, and we will see um, presentations or, or people that have gone through criminal justice and, and kind of extensive substance misuse histories that actually, when you take it back, um, probably is an undiagnosed neurodevelopmental yeah. or ADHD mm. presentation that they've just get by and managing, um, you know, through through different ways. Mm, probably a lot yeah. of people um, self-medicating as well within addiction services, I should imagine. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think it's just important though as well just to remember there are a lot of differentials as well to ADHD. So there's a lot of learning difficulties that we've picked up that have gone missed, you know, when we talk about childhood trauma as well, um, you know, and just understanding that, um, you know, it is about having that full assessment and not, Mm. and making sure that you've eliminated all the differentials really before yeah. giving that I mean, diagnosis. I've, yeah, I've worked with people um, who've, who've said that, you know, ADHD doesn't exist and it really is about complex trauma. Um, I don't know if you've both got a view on, on that, but um, I think um, there's a lot of conflicting evidence, isn't there? And certainly, like with all mental health difficulties, a lot of pros and cons around diagnosis in terms of, you know, being able to access support from having a diagnosis and, and all yeah. the positives that come with it, but also some of the negatives as well. I think, yeah, I think being a nurse prescriber and kind of seeing people at the point of assessment, but seeing people further down the line who may have had a diagnosis um, yeah. and maybe on treatment, you know, we've probably seen the, the good, the bad and the ugly with that. So we've seen people that have benefited from um, ADHD medications, but we've equally seen people that have been misdiagnosed through, be it it was attachment that was misdiagnosed as ADHD, um, yeah. who have really had really bad side effects off being medicated wrongly, really. So, mm -hmm. so the, the key is really that that level of understanding earlier on of what's going on. Um, you know, so is it learning needs? You know, if you look at any of our presentations we see um, in in CAMS, so anxiety, 
trauma, attachment, even sleep deprivation, they all present with the same symptoms of ADHD. So it's we've got to be really, yeah. really um, invested in that assessment process to, to make sure we're getting it right for our children. Um, yeah. Because the consequences are, are huge when you're getting them on kind of controlled drugs that, that cause quite significant yeah. side effects sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, should we come over to Michael, if that's okay, and talk about your work? Uh, yeah, so myself and, sorry, myself and Jose Manuel uh, Granada Lopez, who's a, a mental health nurse working in Zaragoza, we, uh, were, we were talking about trying to do a joint project, and he works as a specialist in child and adolescent mental health. And I noticed uh, uh, about two years ago that there was just an, an enormous increase in self-harm in school children and adolescents. Uh, and one of the things that, that I found that uh, we just, he just couldn't determine or they just didn't know how or why this was happening. But uh, instead of looking at the, the hows and whys, we were thinking more about, well, if there's high rates of these uh, behaviours uh, in response to emotional distress in children, then maybe we should be looking at the people who are in closest contact with, which would be primary school teachers and secondary school teachers. Mm -hmm. So this part of the study is looking at uh, primary school teachers' uh, experiences of mental health issues in the classroom. And mm -hmm. they, they, they have encountered quite a, a, a wide range of uh, issues uh, in primary school children. Now, this is primary school children. So it would be uh, first school starters up until people who are leaving uh, primary seven, I think it would be in the UK, and going to secondary school. So th this is in school children. So for, in, in terms of what Beth was talking about, uh, there have been experiences uh, with uh, what people would interpret as schizophrenia. So that it may be the children are experiencing uh, auditory hallucinations in the classroom. Uh, mm -hmm. About a third of the of, of the people of the school teachers uh, had ex had experience of uh, children with post traumatic stress disorder, what, what, which was what how they characterized it. Uh, and then uh, anxiety would be probably the number one, and then very close behind it would have been uh, ADD, attention deficit disorder. Yeah. So we do, from our from the observation and then looking at the literature, uh, I think it's around half of the lifetime cases of mental health problems occur in childhood. So I mean it's a it's a remarkably uh, yeah. massive uh, prevalence. Mm. It's as if I I always remember working in adult mental health services. At some point, you know, you knew when uh, young people had turned 18, because it was as if they graduated out of child and adolescence when they, when they reached 18, and then they, all of a sudden they're in adult mental health services. Play, yeah. You know, so there was always that um, sort of institutional progression. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's really good. It really fits really well, doesn't it, with all the focus on the whole school approaches at the minute with mental health in schools work and that's some of the work that you know I'm involved in at the minute and thinking about myself as well as a parent 
Um, you know, your children have a really good, relate, uh, well, not necessarily a good relationship, but the teacher is often the person that they're connecting with every day, isn't it? So if they're mm. able to recognise and be the first point of contact to respond um, to, to you know, young people who are experiencing emotional distress or yeah. mental health difficulties. And, uh, and the other thing is, where else would you voluntarily send your children for seven or eight hours a day yeah. in the company of adult strangers? Yeah. Uh, you know, so obviously there, there used to be the old uh, social theory that uh, uh, primary school and secondary school were sort of like de facto childcare. Uh, because that's where people went when the adults and the mom and dad went to work. So yeah, yeah they spend a lot of time with uh, primary school teachers. And then sometimes the primary school teacher or the secondary school teacher may be their first point of contact. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's interesting. Um, Nikki, is there anything coming through on social media? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, there is. Uh, yeah, there's lots of lots and lots of buzz. Um, a question from Beth: uh, Substance misuse in children is often overlooked as a predictor to poor mental health. How can we make sure that practitioners are aware that alcohol and drug use in youth can be um, a cause and not necessarily can be not just a cause but a way of coping? So, question there. But I guess if anybody else wants to join in on it, they can too. So yeah. it's about um, substance misuse in children. That's from Adrian. So thank you, Adrian, for that. Yeah, that actually um, came up in some of the findings of my review as well in terms of um, children being more likely to drink and take drugs as a way of coping with those traumatic experiences. And they didn't actually go into looking at whether that contributed to the development of those symptoms or whether it was just as a way of coping. So it's another thing that is going to be really interesting in future research among young people and I have noticed actually since working in inpatient camps I think we're in a bit of a bubble because they can't drink and take drugs whilst they're in hospital but actually probably do overlook asking <laughs> about those things um, yeah because we just presume sometimes I think that once they've come into hospital that that's not going to be something that they're going back to afterwards so yeah definitely really important and I've got one as well that I think might be better for Rachel and Anne Brace yourselves. <laughs> and this is about interface because I know you have a really, um, a really innovative and, and interesting way of, of bringing different types of services together. And this is a question sort of about interface between um, CAM services, CMHTs. Um, how do we, how do we, when we have these different specialties, how do we get ourselves sorted out so we can work better together? Mm. So I think like. <clears throat> Certainly with our, so our community services um, are kind of the three main bases essentially that cover four main areas. Um, and I think we have really good connections between them. So even though we're in separate bases, we have like a whole service approach. So like with our ADHD pathway, for example, it wasn't just ourselves that were doing this. We had other nurse prescribers that were supporting and the rest of the teams. And I think it's just about how you, kind of share that out and kind of share the vision together um, and I think sometimes uh, you know it is just about that sharing that actually helps you get to where you want to get to I mean there was absolutely no doubt we needed to create capacity um, and that was our biggest thing in terms of what we needed to do so a lot of it was around 
getting that core group of staff from all areas to then come together to develop the service. And I think we're still doing that now, even, you know, to this day, the nurse prescribers, um, you know, meet every Thursday morning for an update and a peer supervision. So it's still going on and it's how do we then develop, um, you know, the, the pathways going forward. So we've created an ADHD directorate meeting as well. So that pulls in all the new things. So we're just developing our, our social prescribing offer and non-pharmacological treatments. So it is it is a task, but I think it's just that shared vision and how you kind of sell that and, and take that on really. And I wonder, Rachel, it might be helpful talking about the primary care and what you did at um, Belgrave. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I'm just thinking about the, was, was the question around transition to our- Yeah, how do we work together? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think, I mean, it, it comes back to, you know, it not being a recognised speciality. I think if if it was, we could really champion mental health nurses to find a passion for neurodevelopmental um, and really kind of lead on it from an adult point of view as well. So we can develop specialty within CAMS, which we branch out. So when we are transitioning somebody into adult, we're handing over to a safe pair of hands that are going to continue that kind of specialist input. Um, but quite often, adult ADHD services aren't commissioned. So we're, we're handing over to generic um, services. And um, that's probably where it's falling down sometimes, mm -hmm. isn't it? Mm -hmm. We haven't got the specialty right across the age ranges, really. Mm -hmm. So it, it's it's a challenge. I don't think we've got the answer for that yet. <laughs> We have some strategy either, which drives it. So it'd be really helpful to see, you know, from a national perspective that we're having some drive, um, you know, to develop some of that. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've got your, your care pathway, so your bundle. So I'll actually tweet that out as well, because I think that'd be really interesting for other, other nurses who are trying to figure out how to do this, to look at how you've worked as well. I have one question as well for, for Michael, if that's all right. Um, and the question is... Um, are, are teachers worried about um, diagnosing children young? I don't think necessarily the teachers are diagnosing, are they? From what I can understand, you saying. Well, yeah, they're no, they're they're certainly not. Uh, but I think what what so, well, one of the, one of the things, uh, one of the results of the study that I think it, it, it sort of feeds into the overall picture is that there is a chronic lack of mental health awareness training in uh, undergraduate curricula for uh, school teachers. And that did come out a lot in the study. And there is uh, indeed some uh, research to support that. Uh, maybe school teachers in training uh, at undergraduate level maybe get a day uh, in their whole three years on mental health awareness. So there was uh, a big training need there. So then what I think happens is people self-educate. They find an article and watch ADD. It has to be more than Bart Simpson. So they, they take an article, they read it. And I think it's, it's once the behaviors uh, are presented, they then try to maybe see if those behaviors uh, are, are normative in some way. So. You have 30 children in the class and they're all screaming and shouting. Uh, how do you know that the, that one of those is, uh, say, ADD, for example? So th there's that whole thing of self-education, but school teachers are extremely reticent to begin to label 
children because it's not their job. The only thing is so yeah. when we come to the results, what, what my work showed was that the, the the clinical stuff they were interested in, but not really that much. They were much more interested in the more practical, you know, how do we facilitate? Yeah. You know, so if I've got a kid mm -hmm. that, that I think has a problem, uh, how do I speak to their parents or their guardians about it? You know, so they needed those types of skills more so than being amateur Sherlock, psychiatric Sherlock Holmeses, you know, running around looking for something. It certainly wasn't that at all. Yeah, I think because um, I work with Compass, who are a charity, and we do a lot of um, training for, for schools um, and for teachers in particular. And I think for me, it's not just about um, teachers being able to recognise mental health difficulties, um, although that's obviously part of it. But it's also about being able to work with young people in a more holistic way, isn't it? So yeah. instead of a child being labelled as being a problem, understanding that there might be a reason behind that problem and offering appropriate support. Yeah. And if you need referring to more specialist mental health, being able to do that and recognise at an early stage, which links to everything we've been saying tonight about prevention, and recognition, you know, from an early stage with young people rather than waiting till somebody gets into an adult and they've had, you know, issues and problems that have impacted on their lives and their opportunities and yeah. educational outcomes. It's, you know, I mean, yeah. just, just to pick up on uh, something that Rachel was saying is that the, the, the prevalence of ADHD in adults in the United States is 4.4%. Uh, and if we think about Beth's, uh, work on psychosis, the prevalence rate for schizophrenia in the general population is 1%. Mm. So, so, I mean, we don't have to do the math to, to work out that at some stage in adults, there's going to be a, a very big need yeah. uh, for uh, some some more structured care uh, mm. in ADD. Definitely. Yeah. Michael, you, you sent your questionnaire to, what, 261? Well, 261 teachers responded is that right yeah so uh, it was a convenient sample so a convenient sample means that it was just convenient to send it out to uh teacher unions and then via their mail shots and on their website they hosted it so the i mean one of the beauties of a convenient sample is that it, it saves a lot of embarrassment because really there are about thirty-five thousand primary school teachers in ireland so 261 is, you know, point point zero 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 three percent So the response rate would have been very, very poor mm. if it was more structured. So in that regard, we just wanted a small sample, again, as a descriptive study to see what, is it worth researching? Is it worth investigating? So yeah, so from the observation of the self-harm increase, we did a literature review looking at mental health issues in the classroom. And then from that uh, literature review, we developed a questionnaire, just a survey on assessing, looking at education and training needs and experiences. We had five primary school teachers and six child and adolescent mental health nurses who did a content validity exercise and they checked it to see that that A, that it made sense and it was asking the right questions. And then we piloted the study. We piloted the, the survey on uh, qualified teachers who were doing a post-graduate uh, uh, MSc in education. So we were happy that 
the questionnaire was it was asking the right question. So we went through a, a pretty standard process uh, and it didn't need any type of factor analysis because we weren't actually measuring any type of intervention or uh, any type of out, output or outcome. So it was just to have an idea about what people were experiencing in the classroom. And then, sorry, we, we hosted that online. Yeah. And eventually there were around 360 uh, people accessed the survey, uh, but only 261, the final sample were people who answered all the questions. Some people got up to maybe just get in the nosy around and see what was there. <laughs> and uh, but the average length of that, the, the, the beauty about the about online surveys is you, you can get stats. So the average length of time to complete the survey was around 12 and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that time uh, intensive. Mm -hmm. uh, but however, the there there was quite a big uh so we would say dropout rate because people got this stage where then, so we, we didn't use any of that information, uh, even though there would be some information there, we didn't think it would have been fair to the overall outcomes in the study. Mm. I was really interested hearing your presentation earlier, the presentation that's uploaded for people to view before or after this discussion, that the teachers definitely seem to see mental health work as being a part of their role. Mm. And they were keen to learn more and they were keen to become more knowledgeable and more skilled. Is that, would that be a fair summary? Yeah, there was a extremely high level of motivation uh, from participants to, to do something more proactive in terms of uh, being involved in the actual uh, identification, that public health approach to looking at the uh, uh, identification of uh, mental health symptoms in children. That's my son shouting in Spanish. If I, my wife's Spanish, so they're, they're having a bit of a tete-a-tete. -tete. Uh, so, <laughs> so in that regard, the, uh, yeah, the, the, they were very, very motivated. And especially uh, to increase their skills, not in order to become de facto or pseudo mental health workers, oh. but I think it was more about I mean, if we look at the results, the, the top three things had absolutely nothing to do with the clinical symptoms or illnesses. I mean, the top thing that people wanted help with was, well, what do I do? How, how do I find, you know, what, what are mental health services for children and adolescents? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, writing a policy, writing a guideline or a protocol uh, for school uh, and how to uh, help or manage or facilitate uh, a child who has a mental health issue, uh, and then uh, the other, the other one. Uh, I, let me see if I can find it here. Was more about uh, increasing knowledge. Yeah, attitudes were very positive, but it was more than just about looking at uh, the. Uh, communicating their concerns to parents because mm -hmm. it's going to be a, a a very big conversation they have mm -hmm. and indeed if the parents haven't noticed any behaviors that may be indicative of a mental health issue then it's the the the, the people who then spend are exposed most to the children or school teachers 
So it's a very difficult conversation maybe to have. So they needed some help around that. Yeah. Yeah. Very complex, isn't it? Especially for parents as well, because you might have some parents that are really keen to have a diagnosis so they can access support. And yeah. then other parents that, you know, don't want um, the children to be sort of connected in to the mental health system or to be considered to have a mental health difficulty. Yeah. It's quite a nuanced thing, isn't it, really? Imagine there's a lot of variation. But yeah, much need to work with them. Um, with parents and families as well, through yeah. schools and teachers. Yeah. And it's quite complex from a consent point of view as well. Yeah, yeah there's, I mean, yeah. there's a host, an absolute mm -hmm. host, sorry, Vanessa, a host of issues. But those issues are not related to like the clinical symptomatology or the, you know, I want to know more about uh, depression or I want to know, yeah. no, it's a, my experience is there's something happening and it's affecting yeah. because teachers will see a decline yeah. in schoolwork or a okay. decline in attention or somebody you know who used to fit in not fitting in so they're, they're going to notice these things and yeah, because they're exposed yeah. to it more often they're going to need to bring it up i mean as one teacher said uh some one someone phoned me and uh, i said well how, you know, how do you normally deal with issues uh with, with children who you're concerned about uh, and she said, well, apart from crying in the coffee room, it's no, it's no way to uh, have to go about work, is it? You know, people, uh, their only recourse is having a cry over a cup of coffee, you know? So it's, uh, I think we have to be much more structured in our approach. I just wanted to mention one thing, actually, uh, linked to the physical health, is it's, it's strange that in, in adult uh, healthcare, uh, we screen adults for everything, mm. you know, screen, you know, whatever it is, you know, for cancer, prostate, cervix, breast, uh, diabetes, whatever. And we have absolutely no mental health screening uh, yeah. in children. But then what we do is we vaccinate children, quite rightly. We have these blanket approaches to healthcare, but it's mostly about physical healthcare, mm. whereas the, the mental health aspect of it, where I think there's a reticence, they start labeling children that young. Mm -hmm. However, if we're not screening, in, yeah. in effect, what we're doing is we're waiting for bigger problems to develop. And once those problems develop, yeah. they're, you know, the, the, the jack is out of the box. It becomes so evident then that we then have mm -hmm. to, to intervene. Yeah, and the problem is often children get excluded and things before oh, then, yeah, don't they? Yeah. So that's I don't know if um, any of the panel have got a, a view on that who are working directly in services. I think um, for us, I think, you know, schools are such a, a valuable contribution, I think, to services. And I think COVID has taught us that certainly nationally, yeah. I think the referrals in the majority of CAM services reduced significantly when COVID hit. And that just goes to show how much is recognised within schools and how much teachers are doing in order to try and support young people. Um, and so I think it's vital that we get, you know, the mental health support teams in school to be able to support them, to be able to support the children. And I think it is a very fine balance around whether you push people for, you know, more intensive services or whether you can... You know, it needs to be a prevention, really, doesn't it? Grassroots stage of, of supporting parents and educating them about how to provide 
you know, kind of consistent and warm and loving households, but some children yeah. will still get some some emotional difficulties. But it's helping understand that and validate that some of those experiences are quite normal in childhood and, and trying to support that. But but I do think I certainly I think before COVID didn't give schools enough credit for what they do and how they're supporting and identifying yeah. those difficulties. But uh, they're certainly high on my list now. Yeah. We yeah. do have a question on COVID, if anyone else wants to come in on that as well. Just saying, how has it impacted you guys? So how's COVID impacted? Uh, uh, well, for uh, if we look at our kind of face-to-face -face work, it's it's kind of put a halt on that, If you know, yeah. of our ADHD workup uh, or assessment processes, collaborating with schools and, and observing childs in different settings. So, you know, we, we go out and observe them in school or, or we see them face to face and observe them as much as we can, really. Um, but when you can't be in the same room as a child, it's really, really difficult to to sort of see how they, they are. So it's it's really been challenging. Um, we've tried to do as much as we can over video and um telephone um but when you're essentially making the decisions about whether somebody's got a diagnosis or not yeah. i think any of us as as nurses would feel comfortable making that decision without ever seeing somebody so um yeah it's, it's been a challenge um, um, I think any positive sorry sorry no forgive me I was wondering if, you know, obviously, you know, the real challenges of using technology, um, but do you think um, any positives have come out of it in terms of, uh, you know, exploring other ways of working, such as technology, more than we were all doing before COVID, I guess? I, th I think it's certainly a good thing to have a variety of options. Um, I think there isn't a, a one-size-fits-all. So what I found, particularly with things like anxiety, mm. some people have really um, felt more comfortable talking about their emotions in, in their own bedroom on a video call. Um, and for other people, they've found they've really missed the face-to-face. -face. So yeah, of course. I think everybody has those different needs and can connect in different ways and I, it'd be nice to see that we we keep all that menu of options to make yeah. sure we're kind of capturing engagement as much as we can yeah definitely i agree sorry ben did i interrupt you <laughs> what were you gonna say i was just wondering um how uh, in well it, largely in response to the question that nikki uh, brought to the panel whether best your work has changed as an inpatient child and adolescent mental mm -hmm. health nurse in the in the pandemic yeah. yeah definitely um so we've had a lot of changes to the policies around children going on leave at the weekends and who can visit and when um which has been really disruptive i think some things have worked really well so a lot of the mm -hmm. young people have said they prefer doing their maybe their family therapy sessions over zoom and they they feel more confident sharing things online um mm -hmm. but i think we've struggled with kind of Kind of a change in people's motivation because the ward has become much more like home because they haven't been able to go home for such a long time oh. and when they do go home they can't see extended family um or friends so yeah i think they've really struggled and the school routine as well like you were saying teachers are such an important part mm -hmm. of um, keeping an eye on what's going on and motivated them to move on with a levels and gcse's etc 
and they I do think they struggled without that routine um yeah yeah really different if I could say that uh my study uh it was undertaken prior to COVID when uh the impact of mental health issues in the classroom was was already big going from the previously uh completed research so if it was big before COVID and yeah. the, I, I think the general consensus is that it, it, it's going to get even bigger because of yeah. the adversities that children and adolescents have had to face. Uh, here in Ireland as well, we've had the, the issue of the predicted grading for adolescents in secondary school. And I'm sure that's going to lead to some uh, issues uh, in terms of mental health and then just the whole disruption. So. The, the, the issue of mental health issues in children and adolescents was big before COVID. And uh, I think it's 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 not going to reduce, but I think then the, the impact of information technology and being able to communicate like this here, I think it'll open doors uh, for higher levels of engagement. I mean, I think we've moved away from doing the old CBT click questionnaire type of thing to a yeah. much more human interface now where we can actually sit and talk instead of yeah. just completing a questionnaire, submitting it, and then waiting to get your result back, you know? So I, I know that's a very crude uh, interpretation, but this, I think, is much more human approach to looking at mental health and technology. Yeah, yeah, really important points. Uh, I think there's, there's just so much, isn't there? I mean, I think we could cover two sessions or more just on this this topic and Maybe, Nikki, we need to come back to um, children and young people's mental health as well with um, MHTV. And, you know, you're all very welcome as well to come back. So I think there's so much more. And I'm, I'm really conscious that we've run over, um, but it's felt important to have the conversation we've had. But before we finish, I want to give everyone the opportunity to, um, you know, say any fine, have any final thoughts, any takeaway messages for people who are listening, that kind of thing. So if I start at the top again, Beth, with you, if that's okay. Any final thoughts from you, comments? Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's been really interesting to hear everyone else's work as well. Um, I think, yeah, just like everyone was saying, just being really aware of the things that are going on for young people at the moment, um, especially with COVID, but yeah. also just recognising how that trauma impacts them um, and what that can mean for young people going into adult services as well. Yeah, it's really important point. Definitely. Rachel, anything you want to say? Yeah, I would probably um twofold really. First off, it, I think as mental health nurses, it's 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 that message of it's okay to challenge practice, it's okay to say things aren't where we want it to be. Um and, and we can drive kind of change um and lead on that as nurses. So I think that's quite powerful. And I think for children, you know, we are a role model um, and, you know, we we see lots of children that, that come with their challenges or their difficulties. I would say part of the work I do is to keep it balanced. Yes, we can support the difficulties, but let's celebrate what they're good at. You know, let's have that balanced message that we're, we're recognising what their strengths are at the same time. Um, and in that is building that, that self-esteem and, and promotion of, of their mental health. So yeah, balanced care planning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. And uh, Michael, over to you. Well, I, I think that uh, as mental health nurses, 
if we remember that uh, because of the, the increased prevalence of mental health issues uh, in society in general, that a qualified mental health professional may not be the first point of contact. And for children and adolescents, it's most likely going to be uh, a parent uh, or, or uh, a school teacher. Yeah. So for mental health nurses, I think there's a fantastic opportunity for engaging in uh, public mental health in terms of looking at prevention uh, of issues uh, and indeed uh, the promotion of positive mental health uh, in the classroom. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Agree with you there. Um, I'll come over to Anne and then to Nikki and then to Ben, I think. Yeah, Anne, you. Yeah, so I'd echo, um, you know, kind of what Rachel said. I think just from my perspective, I'm very passionate about research. And I think as nurses, we probably all do it, but we don't name it. And I think it's within our gift, within our service to be able to develop stuff and do service evaluation and look at the kind of, you know, research and looking at how we can change stuff. Um, and yeah. I think if we can build that within our everyday practice, then, you know, we absolutely are all are doing it, but we just need to kind of name it and celebrate that we are doing it. Yeah, I agree. And that's a theme that's coming out, isn't it, in all our episodes at the minute, the important of, importance of nurses, um, you know, being in the research space and being in, involved. And I think the beauty of MHNR being online as well, hopefully, is that lots more nurses are able to you know, to watch this and hopefully be inspired by, you know, the research that's happening that's been led by nurses around the country and, and beyond. Yeah. Um, Nikki, anything from you tonight? Absolutely. So um, thank you, Nikki Lou, who's, I know it sounds like I only read out people whose names sounds like mine, but honestly, <laughs> I am offering yeah. it all. Um, my name, um, learning so much about AHDD, thank you so much. And then mm. Nikki Sibani, um, lovely to see you too. Um, well done to Rachel and Anne and the, and the team. For presenting um so interesting to hear it and then they've combined nhs this idea that we all work and learn from each other so thank you ever so much to everyone who's joined in tonight and asked questions yeah thank you and ben over to you then there's two things i take away from this evening one um which is really well represented in your work best particularly um is and also actually yours michael as well which is around uh early intervention or or mental health promotion. So best your systematic review was very much about showing what, what happens to people or can happen to people in later life. Um, and the association between that and early traumatic experiences. So that seems to me to make a really strong case for acting early. And the same from you, Michael, the importance of the work that teachers do mm. uh, and maybe there's a role for nurses there in supporting teachers in, in a primary mental health care context. And from Anne and Rachel, what I particularly get is, is and, and this is represented in your work too, Michael, is something around interfaces and the system. Um, so Anne and Rachel, where, you're, where what you've done in your service improvement is to have linked specialist services with primary care and you've shown the value of what advanced nurses can do. Um, and, and Michael, there's an obvious interface issue in your work around the mental health system and the education system. So interfaces and transitions seem really important themes from tonight for me. Yeah, absolutely. 
yeah and um I, I think i agree with you ben a lot of what you've said is kind of what i would echo and i think for me like somehow the voice of children and young people it feels like that's been within the presentations although not explicitly so because you know it's got to be beneficial for for young people that you know, teachers um, understand more about them from a holistic perspective and, you know, thinking about families, thinking about myself as a parent, even being able to, you know, access support via primary care rather than through the mental health system has got to be beneficial to children and, and families, hasn't it? And, and I think as well, you know, the broader comment as well about nurses being involved in research is, you know, is really coming out in this episode and in all the episodes and the importance of it. Because I think a lot of nurses have imposter syndrome, don't they? And they don't think that they've got the skills or something to contribute in the research space. So, you know, it's great to have have nurses on, isn't it? Talking about, you know, the great work that they're doing and what a difference they're making. And, you know, I've learned loads again tonight, like I have every episode. It's been brilliant. And yeah, um, yeah. yeah it's been That's great. Been yeah and a plug really to people who are watching just to say that you know um if you've caught only half of this um you know it's it'll be uploaded onto youtube later you can um have a look at the videos on facebook live um, you can go on to twitter and look at mhnr 2020 hashtag and we'll also be here tomorrow and next week as well um so i think we'll end there because we're we're running over a little bit but um thank you to all our guests it's been really interesting and you know we've learned a lot and um to everybody listening and watching and tweeting us thank you as well that's been brilliant and we'll wrap up there so good night everybody thank you good night thank you, thank you.